Hi, I'm Dr. Marsha, and this is the Self-Care Chronicle. As a licensed psychologist, I know that I need to practice good self-care to maintain my mental wellness. But maintaining my self-care routine can be a struggle when things get hectic. So I started reaching out to my peers to ask them about their experiences with self-care, and I learned that many of my fellow mental health professionals have similar experiences. Join me each week as I connect with a fellow mental health professional to discuss the challenges of managing our own mental wellness in the midst of a pandemic, social unrest, increasing demand for our services, and a struggle to embrace a me-first ideology, which sometimes feels wrong to a helping professional. Welcome to the Self-Care Chronicle. And welcome, Carrie Ann Brown. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Marsha. It's absolutely my pleasure. Let's go ahead and jump right in. My first question is always, what was your journey into mental health? How did you decide to become a mental health professional? And once you decided to be a mental health professional, what was your journey to the population that you currently serve? Mm. Yeah, I definitely fell in love with the field of mental health. I remember taking a a general psychology class early on in high school as an elective and instantly like just falling in love and being fascinated with just the human mind and human behavior. And I knew then that that was the field that I wanted to be in and went to undergraduate um, school, studied psychology. I took a internship working at a group home for adolescent females with trauma and just sort of like reinforced that this was where I wanted to be the career that I wanted to be in and finished grad undergrad and went on to graduate school and continued my studies in mental health counseling. And through my studies, you know, worked with several different populations, adults, children, varying mental health issues. Where I got to where I am now with the population that I'm serving really was just uh, very deeply, you know, personal in terms of my own experience with entering into motherhood. And now I work with moms who have experienced, you know, pregnancy loss, traumatic births, difficulties adjusting to the postpartum period. And I absolutely, you know, feel privileged to be serving the population that I'm serving. Interesting. Okay. So for you, the journey to the population that you specialize in is a very kind of personal because you have personal experience with it and you want to help other people because you've, you've had those experiences. That's interesting. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you tell me a little bit about the most stressful thing about your job? The most stressful thing, I have to say, it's really the business side of the practice. I mean, in graduate school, they don't teach you how to run a practice, you know, and so it's just recognizing that there's a difference between working on my business and working in my business and making sure that I build time in my schedule for doing the administrative part of the business and, you know, just marketing and networking and building relationships with other professionals is an important part of having a successful practice. And so that sometimes can, you know, get stressful because it's very easy for me to just fill up my schedule with clients. And I have to remember that I need to save time to, to, you know, do some of the more non-clinical tasks of having, you know, private practice. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. And I hear, I've talked to so many people about this and in grad school, they teach us to do what we do, but they don't teach us to run our own business. They teach us to work for someone else, maybe work in a certain organization or like an institution, like a, you know, hospital or, you know, a community organization. But in terms of starting our own practice, I feel a lot of us are kind of left in the dark because no one tells us that. 
Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I've had to really develop that, those skills to be able to feel a certain level of confidence in being able to run my business because at the end of the day, it is a business, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, for for many of us, COVID-19 kind of changed the way that we the way that we do our business, the way that we're able to deliver our services to the people we serve. Can you talk a little bit about if and how COVID-19 changed your practice in terms of how you're delivering services, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely um, significant changes. Prior to COVID, I would offer on occasion a virtual session if a client, you know, wasn't able to physically make it to the office, but they were still available. And of course, with COVID, I have now had to extend that to all of my clients. And in fact, my practice has transitioned to fully online. So that's been a big, a big, big shift. But it's also allowed me to extend more flexibility in terms of um, the hours that I have to offer clients, which has been, I think, really helpful for people. And in just, you know, them having to manage their schedules and not have to worry about commute times and, you know, things like that. And so they're able to be more available for sessions and keep their schedules a little bit more um, consistent, which is good. That's great. And can you talk a little bit about you've transitioned your practice fully online. And Mm -hmm. so for you, is this kind of where you'd like to see it stay? Or at some point, would you like to offer kind of face-to-face sessions again? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think for now, it's my new normal. It's working. I've been, you know, I've got two little ones at home. So I've been doing virtual school for the last year. So that also was you know, kind of like not a choice for me because I have the kids at home as well. And so we've made it work for now it's going to be, but I'm not opposed to, you know, in the future, um, returning to the office and offering in-person sessions. I do enjoy in-person sessions and, you know, there's some nuances that's like, you know, different, obviously, with um, a virtual session as opposed to in person. And people have their preferences. There are some people that, you know, prefer in person and, and some that are okay with the virtual session. So fortunately, I mean, I'm busier now actually having an online practice than I wasn't when I had in office sessions. So there's definitely an appeal there and a demand there. So I think that's going to be around for a while. Can you talk a little bit about self-care? What is self-care for you? What does that mean to you? And also, how do you practice self-care? What are your go-to methods? Things like that. Yeah. So self-care looks like a lot of different things for me, even in just like what my schedule looks like, how I schedule my clients, um, not scheduling too many clients back to back or limiting the number of clients I see per week. That for me is self-care. Just having like a max that I know that I do my best work when I see this number of clients per week. Beyond that, I'm stretching and I, you know, I'm either approaching burnout or just giving too much of myself, which means I'm not showing up as the best therapist as I can. And that's not how I want to work with my clients. And so that for me, I see that as self-care among just other things like, you know, how I care for myself. It's just radical self-love, you know, so making sure that I, it's important for me to move my body. So incorporating yoga, Pilates, those are things that are important to me that I try to involve in my, you know, weekly routines, simple things like making sure that I stay hydrated. You know, it's really easy for me to just not really pay attention to just simple, basic things that I know that my body needs, but if I'm not being mindful of it, it's very easy for me to forget, just neglect it. 
I also enjoy journaling and reading and just having like a simple morning routine where I wake up and have a nice quiet time to myself, monitoring how much social media I consume, limiting that, um, just paying attention to the things that energize me and feel restful and refreshing versus the things that drain me and are not so you know good for me. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that you have two littles and uh, so... You know, I know that means that you are very busy and you have a lot going on at any given moment. Are there any things that are present as challenges to making sure that you are able to consistently practice good self-care? Consistent challenges. I would say for sure, just being intentional about my self-care. It's easy for me to put everyone else's needs first, right? The little ones, what they need and making sure that I play with them and, you know, be there with them and engage with them and all of those things. And so just Absolutely. remembering to put myself on my own calendar, like everything that's important to me gets placed on my calendar. And so if I'm not on there, then what, what am I really saying? You know, so for yeah. me, what gets scheduled gets done. So I will put myself on my calendar to make sure that I'm intentional and I'm holding myself accountable for doing self-care activities for myself. Okay, that's great. That's absolutely great. And so it sounds like you you are pretty well set and you have a good arsenal of self-care tools. Now, was were these things that you found replenish your stores? Was this trial and error or did you find pretty early on the things that made you feel like you were replenished physically, psychologically, emotionally, all those things? I would say trial and error. You know, it, it changes, which I think is good, you know, to just continually just kind of assess, like, are the things that I'm doing still working well for me? Or do I need to modify and add more things or take away more things? So it's like an ongoing thing for me in terms of looking at what's working and what's not working and trying different things. Because what works for me now, you know, I don't know, six months from now may not be working as well, you know? Right. Absolutely. That That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. 2020 and now 2021 have been very challenging, especially for for everyone, but especially for mental health professionals. We had the pandemic that seems to not want to go away. We've seen the murders of unarmed Black citizens for nothing at all or with very little provocation. There's the social injustice, the protests, the escalating violence, anti-Asian violence that we've seen for just the past year. And we also had the a terror attack on the Capitol earlier this year. So it's a lot of stuff that's gone on. Can you talk a little bit about whether and how just all of those things going on impacted your own mental health as a mental health professional of color? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a really, really rough time. Continues to be, like you said. I mean, we're in 2021 and we're seeing sort of more of the same. Not much has changed. So for me, I recognize that I really need to be very protective of how much exposure I give myself to the things that are going on because you know, they're, they're painful. They're painful to see. And as a black woman, a mother to black sons, a wife to a black man, like it's, it's hard to see these things that are happening and not, you know, feel fearful that that, that could one day be my son or my husband or a family member or a friend or so I'm, you know, careful about, what I've learned from all of what's happened last year, like you said, with the protests and all of these things is 
it's helped me to recognize the value in self-care and protecting my boundaries, what conversations I engage in, who I engage in them with, how much consumption of news, like you don't need to re-traumatize yourself in order to stay informed, you know? And so just being very aware of how much I'm consuming and paying attention to the impact that it has on my body. Like our bodies are very, very good about communicating to us when things are too excessive. And so having that body awareness and, and feeling in my body when there's like that tension and when I've like reached my limit and it's too much and what my body is asking of me, whether it's to take a break or disconnect or rest or whatever it is, you know, so it's really helped me to redefine what self-care means for me and how I need to uh, prioritize that in my life. Right. Yeah. And those are all, you know, really good points and really good methods that have worked really well for you. Can you talk a little bit about, I, I don't know about you, but in, in graduate school and then throughout training, something that they always talked about was in order to take care of ourselves as mental health professionals, we had to have an ability to detach, right? Mm -hmm. So we're listening to people's stories all day. We're listening mm -hmm. to their trauma. We're listening to their anxieties, their fears, their pain. We had to find some way to detach from that leave it at the office and then go live your life because otherwise you can't really replenish your stores. But as mental health professionals of color, many of us are serving people within our own communities. So they're bringing forth anxieties and fears that are really relevant and applicable to our own lives. So it mm -hmm. makes it so that we're unable to completely detach because everything that's going on, so we're yeah. part of this. And so, as you said before, you are the mother of Black sons, you are the wife of a Black man. And so these are very real fears. So how do you, knowing that and knowing you can't really completely detach, how do you take care of your own mental health and make it so that you can still go day in and day out? to work and help people and listen to these fears and listen to these stories repeatedly and not become so overburdened and so overwhelmed that you can't mm -hmm. function. Can you talk a little yeah, bit no, about that? That's a great question. Um, so I, I think it's important, like for me, I honor, I acknowledge and honor like my own fears and my own feelings about all of what is happening because it would be silly of me to pretend otherwise, you know, like I'm, I'm human as well. And I'm seeing these things and I'm feeling these things and I'm right. witnessing these things and sitting with people who are having very similar fears. So just, just honoring and acknowledging my own fears. I do a lot of journaling. Writing is very therapeutic for me. It helps me to just kind of like have that release and that outlet to be able to just express what it is that I'm, I'm feeling, you know, for me, sometimes that looks like doing my own therapy, you know, having my own place that I can do my own work to address my own stuff. I think that that's important as, especially as mental health professionals for us to do our own work and, and, you know, not expect, you know, for there's a, a saying that I've always heard that you can only take your clients as far as you've gone. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, doing my own work and also things like, like I said before, you know, knowing the limit, like you said, you can't completely disconnect, but you can take breaks, you can rest and also being purposeful about like experiencing joy as well. You know, like I can still have joy, joy and fun and cultivate that in my life. I don't have to choose so I can acknowledge the pain, but I can also 
have these other things in my life that are positive and feel joyful and have fun and cultivate that as well. I think that that's important and we're deserving of that. And so I think that that's important. And play, I think, is an important part of mental health, you know, and so I try to cultivate as much of that as I can. Absolutely. Yeah, those are really important things. And I I think those are great to think about. And it is, it is something that we have to always be mindful of, I think, just because we are in the middle of it. And I think especially as mental health professionals, as we talked about before, we have this tendency to put everybody else first, whether it's the our clients, whether it's our kids, whether it's our spouse, we always end up being on the back burner. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, it's just like, I can deal with one less hour of lunch, sleep, whatever, insert thing here. But this person, you know, really needs me. They're suffering. They need to be seen very quickly. And so it's a struggle sometimes. And I have to just be mindful of, no, by taking care of myself, I'm better able to serve them and I'm in a better condition so that I can be completely present and I'm not like frazzled and I'm not like fighting Mm -hmm. to stay focused or stay awake or anything like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down and chat with me. Do you want to talk a little bit about your practice? Tell people what your practice is, who you serve? Yeah, definitely. So I have an online practice. I'm licensed in the state of Florida. My practice is called Healing with Wisdom. And I see women and couples who have experienced perinatal loss, so miscarriage, stillbirth, also just traumatic births. And so that could be, you know, where they've had, you know, a baby, but the birth experience itself was, was, you know, what they would describe as a traumatic one where, you know, either the, you know, baby came very prematurely or just how the birth experience, the birth itself happened was not, you know, just less than ideal, not what was expected. And also just people who have had difficulty with fertility struggles, just the path to parenthood is not what they were hoping for. It's, you know, been lots of detours and just painful, as well as people who have had postpartum depression and anxiety. Those are all things that I work with, have training in advanced perinatal mental health. And you can find more information about me and the work that I do at healingwithwisdom.com and also follow me on Instagram at Wisdom Counseling as well. That is excellent. Thank you so much. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to previous episodes of the podcast, but the very last thing I do is called The Finisher. And it's just Mm -hmm. a question, or sometimes two, it just depends, that's random, not related to mental health or self-care, but it's a fun way to end the show. So (laughs) for you, let's see. What is your favorite movie of all time? Ooh, that's a hard one. I have to say Grease. I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of Grease. I love musicals, but I would would go with Grease. Okay, so that's your favorite movie. (laughs) So is that also your favorite musical? Yes. Well, actually, no. Hamilton is my favorite musical. (laughs) Oh, very nice. Okay. I still have not had the pleasure of seeing Hamilton, but I hear it's quite, it's 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 quite an experience. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. Well, then out of curiosity, what's your, what are your top three favorite musicals? My top three. So we mentioned Grease. We mentioned Hamilton. Let me see what my third would be. My third... 
I love the sound of actually no. See the sound of music. Sound of music. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. a good. That's a good show. Very mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, actually, my uh, one form of self care for me is belting show tunes in the car on the way mm-hmm. from work or really any frustrating experience I've had. It's yeah. a it's a lot of fun for me. My favorite musical is actually Les Mis. And that's just because it was the very first show I ever saw on Broadway. So okay. I think that just has always just been such an experience. I was, I was probably like 16 or 17 years old. And so okay. it just stuck with me. It was such a phenomenal production and I absolutely loved it. Let's see one more. What are the three top destinations on your travel bucket list? Destinations. I would love to go to Bora Bora. It's definitely Belize and Thailand. Very nice. Very nice. You know, Bora Bora and Belize are the top on the top of a lot of people's lists. I might have to add really? those two places. Yeah. Huh. So I think They're I think beautiful. everybody they knows something. Beautiful. What'd you say? <laughs> They look amazing. They do. They absolutely do. I mean, when you see the pictures, it's just like, oh, wow, can I just live there? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I may have to add those. I may have to add those to my list. I hope you get to go to your places soon. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Carrie Ann Brown, thank you so much for being here today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Self-Care Chronicle. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Self-Care Chronicle on your favorite podcast platform. To find out more about today's episode, or to listen to additional episodes, visit drmarshabrown.com. See you next time.